Welcome to OncoFarm. I'm your host, John Bazaar. I am a professor of pharmacy practice here at the supporting spots of OncoFarm, ETSU's Bill Gatton College of Pharmacy. Not really an oncology topic today, so this is kind of a bonus episode. Um, I have a student, an APP student, who is doing a biomedical communications rotation with me. So we are doing a podcast about her experience uh, as a patient with lupus nephritis. So I'm pleased to introduce to P4 class of, I guess, 2023, Morgan Thomas. Welcome to the podcast, Morgan. Good morning. Nice to be here. All right. So let's talk about uh, your, your lupus story. I, I did a, a very scientific Twitter poll uh, a week or so ago uh, asking people on Twitter, who taught them lupus? Because uh, you were taught lupus by a resident at times. I've taught lupus in the past, SLE. I was taught lupus by a resident in pharmacy school as well. And so I was expecting it to be like a 50-50 mix of it was a faculty member that taught us lupus or a resident. But I also did a third question, which is no one taught us lupus. And, I, you know, I'm an oncology pharmacist, so I figure most of the people who replied to this were oncology pharmacists or other pharmacists. Okay? And there were about 60 replies. The most common answer was no one taught them lupus. Now, there could be some recall bias. People may not remember that. It's perhaps especially if it was taught by a resident versus a faculty member. Uh, so anyway, it seems like maybe some of y'all uh, might want to uh, learn a little bit more about lupus. So we're going to do a case study here using Morgan's history. So uh, Morgan, just tell us, you know, what lupus or SLE is. So lupus is an autoimmune disease um, that has a lot of associated inflammation that over years can cause multi-organ damage. Um, it affects approximately five to around 250 people um, per 1,000, 100,000 people diagnosed every year. Um, but every diagnosis looks a little different just because of all the different ways it can present. Okay. Uh, so what's a disease state that has about the same incidence as SLE? And SLE is systemic lupus erythematous, correct? Correct, yes. Um, a disease that we're more commonly familiar with is HIV. So HIV has an incidence of about um, 12 people um, per the 100,000 people years. Um, so more um, maybe pronounced in practice, um, but lupus affects maybe even more people than that. Okay, so lupus about as common as HIV. And of course, as, as we've discussed uh, on, in some of the writings that you're doing this month, um, you can get specialty certification as a pharmacist in HIV. Not something similar for patients with SLE, and uh, certainly a big burden of disease uh, with lupus. So let's go back to, to your story. So when were you diagnosed with lupus? So I was diagnosed um, in 2019 with lupus, um, but I had been previously diagnosed with a um, renal disease called FSGS. Um, I presented with a similar renal manifestations, but didn't have the positive anti-antibodies um, that are required for the lupus diagnosis. So that's why it came years later. Okay, so you specifically have lupus nephritis, and Correct. lupus can affect, SLE can affect many different organs, so besides the kidneys, what other organs uh, can be affected, and what are the kind of common symptoms of lupus? So lupus usually affects musculoskeletal and cutaneous organ systems. Um, about half of the patients present with a rash, the butterfly rash that most people um, think of. Uh, the lupus nephritis affects up to about half of SLE patients. Um, some of the symptoms a patient might have can be nonspecific, with things like fatigue, fever, weight loss, um, nausea, vomiting, um, but organ-specific, um, they can also have pulmonary manifestations, cardiac, CNS, or GI. Okay, and typical first-line treatment for most SLE is um, hydroxychloroquine or Correct. plaquenil, all right? So, so what, uh, what did you take initially 
I guess maybe for your FSGS, if you remember, what did, what did you take for I that? started with steroids first and was um, resistant to that. It didn't improve my disease process. So the first medication I was switched to was the Celsept. Okay, to Celsept. So mycophenolic uh, moftil. Okay, uh, how common is steroid resistance with either SLE or lupus nephritis? It can affect between one-third and um, 70% of patients with lupus nephritis that are seen to be immunosuppressant. Uh, overall, SLE is about 6% of patients that don't respond to one of the first-line treatments. So most lupus nephritis patients are refractory Correct. or resistant to standard first-line SLE treatments. Okay, all right. So you start on the uh, the, the CELSEP, MMF, back in your, uh, back in your, your youth, still young, but back in your early youth for FSGS, or when you're diagnosed with lupus nephritis, how did that change the medications you're taking? When I was diagnosed with the lupus nephritis, they added on tacrolimus to my regimen to help with, with, with refractory disease. Okay. So uh, in my training uh, during my PGY2 oncology pharmacy uh, residency, um, not tacrolimus, but cyclosporin, another calcium inhibitor, and Celsep were kind of our common graft versus host disease backbone. So I'm, so there is a little oncology pharmacy maybe for those of you listening. Um, so I'm pretty familiar with the side effects of these drugs. So so MMF, we think of diarrhea as kind of the, the classic side effect. And you can you know maybe go from a gram BID to 500 every six and, and help minimize that diarrhea. Uh, any troubles with diarrhea from taking Celsep? No, sir. No. So no diarrhea. Okay. Any you know any other side effects from Celsep then? No, I really didn't have any problems with it. Okay. Uh, what about the tacrolimus? Tacrolimus, I've had some side effects. Um, I've had an increase in my hypertension um, as a, as a effect. Um, have some headaches occasionally, and I will get a tremor occasionally whenever my levels are getting high. Yeah, so so kind of the, a lot of side effects for calcium inhibitors. Uh, so the you know the ones that I think everyone should know in pharmacy school hypertension. Okay. So are you taking an antihypertensive? Correct, I okay. take lisinopril. Okay, so taking some lisinopril, an ACE inhibitor. Oftentimes in lodipine, we think of, at least for our kidney transplant patients, as kind of the first-line drug for hypertension. Uh, with uh, you know FSGS and your lupus nephritis history, maybe a compelling indication for uh, the ACE inhibitor, which maybe we'll revisit that, that choice. Um, the neurotoxicity, which could be side effects, but fine motor tremor is the most common. Have you ever had a tremor with tacrolimus? I have, and when I go to get my labels, my labs checked for the um, prograph levels, it's usually about double what they expect it to be. Okay, and then the the other, I guess, the top three are probably the uh, the hypercholesterolemia, hypertriglyceridemia, the lipid abnormality. So any trouble with cholesterol since you start tacrolimus? Not a bump since. I've been on Lipitor since I was 13 for the increased secondary to my protein loss in my urine, um, but there was no bump after. Yeah. So, yeah. So, I, I, I saw some, uh, during a PEDS uh, rotation during residency, I saw some kids with FSGS, and I was like, How, why is this kid on a statin? And when you have proteinuria, you're losing, you know, your good, you know, apolipoproteins, cholesterol will go up. Often, you'll lose things like protein CNS, so there can be clotting disorders as well. Uh, and that's a big overlap to antiphospholipid by syndrome with patients with SLE. Um, other side effects of tacrolimus that you can see a lot of electrolyte abnormalities and wasting hypokalemia, hypomagnesemia, things like. And there's some other ones too uh, that are are not infrequent, but we'll stick to the to the big ones there. Um, now we we kind of talked about you know typically first line for lupus uh, SLE lupus nephritis is is Plaquenil. 
which is the the brand name for hydroxychloroquine. So why why aren't you taking why aren't you taking hydroxychloroquine? So whenever I was diagnosed with the lupus nephritis, my rheumatologist started me on Plaquenil, and I didn't um, tolerate well. It made me very fatigued and uneasy. Um, just kind of affected my daily life. Um, so I've tried it twice, once on a lower dose, like taking half of a tablet um, twice a day. Um, there's some evidence to support that maybe some pharmacogenomics play a role in this, specifically CYP2D6 polymorphisms. Um, nothing set in stone and no recommendations yet, um, but there is some evidence to support maybe people tolerate it differently. Okay, yeah, and you tried it twice. Correct. In, at, at, a, at a lower dose the second time and didn't, and didn't tolerate it. Um, and this is why it, it's really important for students or learners, you know, it's not enough if you're going to be a clinician, just know the first line. Because lots of folks, uh, for whatever reason, are not able to, to tolerate or to afford or they have side effects from first-line therapy. So then you have to know, what are the other options? So what are other op options for SLE? You meant, we've talked about hydroxychloroquine as being first-line. We've talked about a calcium inhibitor. We talked about um, you know, kind of an anti-metabolite immunosuppressant and mycophenolate mofetil. All of these are, um, are immunosuppressants, as you mentioned, it's an anti immune or an autoimmune disorder so we need anti uh, or, um, immunosuppressants as a treatment so what are other SLE treatments that maybe you've tried or that are out there so like you mentioned there are like the methotrexate azathioprine um, those type of things there's newer drugs some biologics that are out um, one of which has been Lista that's approved um, for the treatment of lupus nephritis um, there's also a new calcineurin inhibitor bocosporin um, it's an oral medication that's for, specifically for lupus nephritis so those are some other options that are out there now and benlista belumab is a uh, targets b cells uh, anifrolumab uh, interferon one uh, pathway inhibitor as well you mentioned azathioprine cyclophosphamide mm -hmm. often considered first line for lupus nephritis uh, which you have not had Correct. right so you just had the the hydroxychloroquine trial, the Cellcept, and the the Prograph, correct? Correct. Those that's what you've that's what you've done. Okay. So what's kind of the what what have your you know your nephrologist told you kind of to expect from the lupus nephritis? Like I guess the natural history of disease. Yeah. So I was diagnosed or with the FSGS when I was thirteen, already with kidney disease that presented on a biopsy. I was rebiopsied in twenty nineteen when I had the lupus nephritis. Um, diagnosis. So there's already some damage there that will be irreversible. Uh, I currently have stage 3B kidney disease um, and they don't expect it to necessarily ever get better. The damage is done. Um, we hope that I won't progress to kidney transplant but I am only 25 so the likelihood is high um, but we'll cross that bridge when we get there. Yeah. Um, is there, you know, is this a static condition with your kidneys? Are there flares? Um, you know, like you it's not, it's not like MS, but you know, in MS there's this relapsing remitting thing. Mm -hmm. Is it, so you've kind of had some permanent damages. Is there ongoing damages happening, flares, things like that? So with the immunosuppression, um, it's expected that the flares are minimal um, just to maintain um, enough of a balance between damage and really hurting the immune system. Um, I do have flares at times. Um, lucky that my lupus doesn't um, present with any um, rashes or uh, muscle pains, anything like that. Um, but I'll notice that my urine gets foamier, um, which is a result of me losing more protein. Um, so that's kind of my only sign that my body is flaring necessarily, but there's no, been no sudden decline in function. Okay. So the, yeah, and so the, with the proteinuria, that, that, that's the rationale for an Acer and ARB to help decrease the amount of protein being spilled in your urine. Um, you know, what's your trochromus goal level? It's between four and six as a trough goal. Four and six. Okay, so 
I would imagine if there were periods where you were not adherent, which hopefully as a pharmacy student, you're quite into adherence, but we're all human. You know, if there was a time that you missed doses or your levels got low, has that ever led to a flare or anything like that? Or not that I've noticed, Very no. consistent. And of course, the question we would ask is not, have you ever missed the dose? But in the last month, uh, how many doses have you missed yes. is how we would we'd phrase that. Okay. Um, now, you kind of mentioned this, that you've got lupus nephritis, but you don't have, uh, you know, dermatologic uh, manifestations. Any other complications from lupus? Uh, no complications in organ systems um, affected by my lupus, um, but I have had a number of infections um, that are thought to be secondary to both the lupus and the level of immunosuppression I'm on. Yeah, so with all the um, immunosuppressants, certainly prone to infection, so um, certainly probably, uh, despite the learning environment probably not being as good, <laughs> doing your whole P3 year pretty much via Zoom probably gave you a peace of mind um, especially living in Tennessee, which is not, not exactly high on the vaccine uptake scale uh, to be able to do stuff from home uh, with your immunocompromised uh, state. Um, you know, so when you get, say, a cold, you know, is it worse than other people's colds, does it seem like, or is it just kind of a normal cold? I would say that it usually lasts longer, if anything. Um, I find that it takes me longer to get over, um, say, traveling. I come back and my body's really worn out or um, changes in my daily routines cause me to have just more trouble getting back on track. So I'd say a cold, more likely to last longer, maybe not be as severe, but... Okay. Any any exotic off-the-wall infection, you know, with immunocompromised folks, this is when you sometimes, uh, you know, I, I remember you know, taking care of patients on the bone marrow transplant service and there'd be a culture come back from a bug you'd never heard of, right? Those are the types of bugs you see in immunocompromised folks. Anything like that that you've encountered? Yeah, so I've had one exotic bug experience um, last fall, secondary to um, what we think was some pulled pork gone bad. Um, so I actually contracted Yersinia intercolitica, um, which put me in the hospital about three months later, secondary to um, plenty of diarrhea and GI losses. Um, that led to just a bunch of weight loss and other conditions that we couldn't figure out. Um, and then we found Yersinia just hanging out, um, secondary to just my immune system not fighting it off for months. Yersinia. Yeah. Yersinia. That's like, that's like the plague, right? That's it the plague is. bug. Or genus, I guess. Uh, yeah, so those are, those are some of the complications that you see in patients uh, on, uh, on immunosuppressants. Okay, so, so kind of looking forward, you know, what is the... Um, you know, the, the, the next thing, hopefully, you know, to treat lupus nephritis? So I think there's a lot of biologics, uh, monoclonal antibodies in the works um, that have been studied maybe in SLE and not specifically lupus nephritis next. Um, so those are in the works just as adding on to patients who don't experience um, control with the, the agents out there now. Um, so you'll, I think we'll begin to see more and more of the Benlista that's already approved, the Enafrolumab that's in the process of being approved for lupus nephritis, um, but more of the specialized um, targeted immunotherapies. Yeah, I think that you're kind of a, a, a picture of why lupus nephritis is challenging to treat uh, as, an, as an academic maybe looking on the outside is when you review the SLA literature, often lupus nephritis... Is, a, is, a, is an exclusion criteria, along with creatinine clearance less than 30. And I think you're probably, sounds like you're at that yeah. close to there or below there. So uh, it makes it you know really hard to, to figure out what drugs to work in lupus nephritis with any confidence, and it tends to be a lot of trial and error, uh, it would seem. 
Um, so for, for clinicians out there, that would be pharmacists or, or maybe some uh, physicians in training, what would you want them to know, um, um, you know about, about lupus? I'd say there's probably two things I would want the healthcare world to know. Um, one is to listen to your patients. Um, they may not know all of the things about lupus, um, but they're the ones who experience these symptoms every day and can um, really speak to the, the changes that they've had that may key you into flares or disease therapies or maybe even non-adherence that's causing their problems. Um, so really listening to them. Um, I know this was my case when I was in the hospital and they thought I had a UTI, um, but I assured them that the white blood cells that I lose is just the interstitial fibrosis um, secondary to my longstanding kidney disease. Um, the second thing I would want to tell healthcare providers um, is to use their team. Um, there's a reason we have all kinds of um, healthcare providers working on difficult patients and lupus patients are no different, um, but utilize everybody and their strengths um, to maybe play to your weaknesses to um, get the best outcomes. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a disease that's that's uh, challenging, and there aren't um, at least like pharmacy specialists that I know of in rheumatology. Uh, there are of course physician specialists in rheumatology, and uh, I, I think back to how you know SLE is probably not a new disease; probably been around forever, right? But we we it was it's a fairly recent development in the span of human history to test for anti nuclear <laughs> double strand DNA antibodies. So you can just imagine somebody a hundred years ago who had these manifestations and, you know, you go back to like the four humors theory, like how, how, did, how, how does this disease process work? And it's still, to me, as someone who's not an expert in rheumatology, it's still kind of vague and nebulous how you diagnose a lot of these rheumatologic conditions. SLE is no exception as well. And that's one of the reasons a lot of these patients take a while to get of an appropriate diagnosis, and, and I can't help but wonder if the FSGS you had was really an early manifestation of lupus nephritis that wasn't fully there yet. Maybe there's some delay in the ANA antibodies turning positive, or, or something like that, or if it's different in kids with immune systems, those turning positive, or, or whatever that may be. So, um, especially for those rare conditions, and SLE is not super rare, but it is fairly rare, it is oftentimes patients um, know more than your average yokel clinician who, who you know, it sees the same thing over and over again, feels good about that, and then when something kind of uh, novel or different comes there, uh, comes in, they, they, they tend to try to put the same, um, the same labels on things that they've seen before. Kind of similar to your story about the, the UTI that wasn't a UTI. Um, if there are any lupus patients listening, what would you want them uh, maybe to know? I would say be an advocate for yourself. Um, sometimes there's a lot that you can learn, maybe if you go looking, that may help you better understand um, why you take the medications you take or what you can do to help make things better. Um, and I would just say be very honest with your healthcare providers. If they ask questions um, about your medications and your adherence when you're experiencing a flare, uh, be honest in that if you're not taking your medications, um, you do a better job of it. It will help with your disease process and prevent um, them having to other add other medications if you maybe don't need them. But stand up for yourself, pay close attention to what changes in your life um, that causes your disease to flare and um, do your best to take care of yourself. Okay. Thank you, Morgan. Uh, anything else that, you know, we didn't cover that you want listeners to know about, you know, living with lupus or the drugs you're taking, anything like that? I would just say, um, as a patient who um, looks very healthy on the outside, um, it can be hard to see into um, the things that I do every day to take care of myself and also um, the things that maybe are going bad that others don't notice. 
um, that you just can't take for face value. So just um, be careful, um, do your best to take care of yourself and help healthcare providers um, understand all that you do. Well, thank you. Well said, well said. And, and thank you for sharing your story and opening up. Uh, hopefully it's beneficial for others and uh, even those who maybe uh, had lupus taught to them in school, maybe they feel that they know the disease state and, and how to care for those patients a little bit better after hearing uh, your wisdom as a, as a lupus patient. So thank you. Thank you. All right. Well, that is it for this bonus episode. Uh, and, um, you know, it's like I say, doses matter. Thank you.